Welcome to Christ, Culture, and Cinema with the doctor, Jeffrey Skopak, and his trusted assistant, Michael Pop, as they explore the intersection of faith, movies, and our contemporary context. Welcome back to Christ, Culture, and Cinema. And how are you doing today, Michael? Uh, that's rude. We have a guest. Ask the guest first. Well, I want to ask you first because every day on my phone, I am getting an extreme heat advisory for Jacksonville, Florida. Oh. I cannot convince my cell phone carrier that I no longer live there, but rather in the quaint mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. I, I assume you should just keep that coming because that will remind you again, you're calm, comfortable, no worries, no heat advisory, Reggie is safe, and yes, we are sweating our butts off out here. It's awful. Yes, you are. And our guest today, and we are honored to have this, uh, this gentleman as our guest. Now, I've known our guest since he was installed as the pastor of Ascension Lutheran Church in Montreal, Canada. I have oh. known this guest since he was a professor. At the late, great alma mater, Concordia College, Bronxville, New York. And now I know this guest as a theology professor at Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota, where I don't think he's sweating as much as you are, Michael. No. It's my privilege to introduce to you Dr. Joshua Holman. Josh, good to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks. Great to be with you both, too. So it's an honor to be here. Thank you very much. Talking faith, film, culture, Christ. Excited. Fun and stuff. let me tell you, when I when I came across this movie, Dr. Josh was the first person that came to my mind because back in January when I was at the Faith in Film Festival at Concordia Seminary St. Louis, I sat in on one of his sessions as we took a look at a Wes Anderson movie, Moonrise Kingdom. That was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, thanks. And you're right. We go back to Montreal days. Happy memories. Concordia College, New York. Shout out to that, too. Uh, yeah, I'm a Wes Anderson aficionado. I've been working on Wes Anderson here and there for a number of years now. And really, when I look at the arc of my life, uh, Rushmore was a definitive film for me out of college. Coming of age film. So I've been with Wes Anderson ever since. Wow, that's awesome. Well, today we're going to be looking at his newest movie, Asteroid City. It was released at the Cannes Film Festival on May 23rd, 2023. Released to us peasants out there in movie land on June 16th, 2023. I was there on opening night with my wife. Uh, this is a movie she would absolutely go and see. Now, this movie cost $25 million, which I'm always amazed. Crazy. I'm amazed at, you know, really how little in the arc of how much movies cost today, Wes Anderson movies don't cost that much. Oh, and, and the, the star power. Oh, it's I mean, crazy. They, they all took uh, pennies on the dollar to be a part of this? Absolutely. And the box office, again, it is Wes Anderson. So it is a niche kind of movie. Box office, $47.7 million, and already on the streaming service, Peacock, uh, hard to believe. So I've been able to see this movie twice, once in the theaters, which 
I highly recommend a, a Wes Anderson movie, I think is best experienced on a big screen because of his use of color, uh, the way he uses color in his movies and particularly his last few movies have, have really uh, kind of delved into uh, the use of these primary colors, these sets that are simple, but but bright and vibrant. They, they tell the story as well. I don't think it's about how many times you've seen it. Most of us lay people are not like Dr. Josh when it comes to Wes Anderson. And it's like, how many times before I understand what I really just watched? There it is. I, I knew I Michael. Don't... Now, Josh, I have to tell you, I knew Michael's head might explode watching this movie trying to figure it out. Well, am... Michael, you're in good company because you can always go back to Wes Anderson and have more questions. Oh, I, I spent sure. a little time on YouTube trying to dissect what people were saying. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's notorious for not having plots in his movies, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's it's funny. You, you, you mentioned the movie Rushmore. Um, the Royal Tenenbaums was one of those movies for me. You know, kind of the dysfunctional family searching for function. Uh, the Life Aquatic. Which again, I thought was that that was his first real dive into using color uh, as an expressive piece of the movie uh, telling. Uh, the movie I referenced that uh, we we dealt with back in January, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, you know, and that's where we really see this kind of coming of age. The kids may be smarter than the adults, uh, but mimicking adult life uh, and action. The one my wife loves, the Grand Budapest Hotel, is just brilliant. Uh, I that may be his his best movie to date. Uh, at least the Academy Awards thinks so. And then one that I keep telling Michael we're going to have to do, only because of the sheer number of people who are voices in it, Isle of Dogs. Mm. You know, we keep we keep flirting with it. We we may have to do this. And if, if Josh has a positive experience with us today, maybe he'll come back yeah. uh, and, and do that with us and help us try to figure out what's going on in that one. <laughs> well, well, let's let's let the ratings of our podcast decide whether or not we have him back. Right. I mean, well, well this is true. We have a I small mean, you know, audience, but they will let us know by their views. They let, will. I'm, I'm telling you, we're, we're hot on the continent of Africa. And that no, makes no sense to me, no, but it's no, okay. No views. We have faces for radio. That's I'll, right. I'll be on my best behavior. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. You can't be. <laughs> so so before we get into anybody else in this movie, can I take us down our favorite road? Sure. So, Dr. Josh, you're going to learn here. We love Bill Murray. Bill Murray is our man. He is the life of Christ Culture and Cinema. He is a fellow Cubs fan. Uh, I love him dearly. And I couldn't understand he's been in nine Wes Anderson movies and not this one. And, and it blew my mind. So I had to look up what happened. Where's Bill? Mm -hmm. I did not realize COVID kept him out of this one and Steve Carell replaced him. He was supposed to be in it. Really? Then it was, he did a promo for it. He played, uh, what was the character? He played Tab Whitney, the head of, uh, of a Larkins Corp. And he actually did a promo to, I don't know, still put his name on Wes's stuff, but I, I was looking for Bill. This is Bill's yeah. director. I, they, they're a team. Yeah. COVID. I would have thought Bill would have been cast as Stanley Zack, the character <laughs> played by Tom Hanks. That would have been spot on where Bill Murray belonged in this movie. 
uh, find one person that'd rather have Bill Murray than Tom Hanks uh, outside of you and I. I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, I don't know. I'm telling you, the Bill Murray <laughs> movies do better on Christ culture and cinema than the Tom Hank movies. Just say That's true. That's true. It, it says something about our audience. It says something about us. They're simple like <laughs> us, yeah. Well, let's talk about the characters. And there are many. And, you know, as we've promised, we're not going to go super deep on other movies and things they've been in. But I think it's important to see how many of these actors and actresses are in the Wes Anderson stable of of uh, people. I mean, he, he works with a set group of people all the time. And and the lead character Augie uh, Steinbeck, played by Jason Schwartzman, he is Wes Anderson's guy. Uh, Rushmore, Moonrise Kingdom, The French Dispatch, The Grand Budapest Hotel. But a little crossover, by the way, with Tom Hanks. He's in the movie Saving Mr. Banks, uh, which was a Tom Hanks movie. And oh, by the way, he was in the awful Will Ferrell movie, Bewitched. So uh, as we learn here, Dr. Josh, all actors and actresses make one of those movies that they go, I don't know why I was, why I was in that movie. <laughs> Everyone. Everybody. Uh, and mentioned earlier, playing Stanley Zack, Augie's father-in-law's Tom Hanks, uh, and this is really kind of a an intro for him into the Wes Anderson world. Uh, I was really surprised not to see him in other Wes Anderson movies. Um, but he, he fit right in. He really did kind of play that Bill Murray-esque character where he's bringing wisdom with a little twist uh, and sensibility. You know, he's a lawyer. You know, went to law school with uh, the one, uh, uh, the uh, no, the one character's agent. Um, so we we have that. But again, we know Tom Hanks. He's he's a Christ culture and cinema favorite. You know, we've done several of his movies. Most recently, A Man Called Otto. Don't know if you saw that. Excellent movie, Doctor Josh. Phenomenal movie. I'll add it to my list. Uh, but we do believe that the writer kind of stole the story from the animated Disney one up. Up, yeah. So I if you've seen that. up, you've kind of seen a man called uh, a man called Otto, but really well done. And then he's brilliant in Elvis uh, as the colonel. He's brilliant in Elvis. And of course we've done Greyhound and Toy Story. So we he's one of our favorites. Uh Hipless in Seattle. Yeah, well, that was our worst rated <laughs> podcast of all time. That's true. Well, well, being a Gen Xer, I remember probably like Wes Anderson growing up with the zany Tom Hanks in his early films. Yes. Exactly. Tom Hanks was quite quirk, quirky when he started, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Fun. And I, I think it brings that back a little bit. Maybe that's why he made it into the Wes Anderson universe. That, it could be. Maybe it's a reprisal of Joe versus the Volcano. Could be, right? That's one of your favorites, Michael. Mm, it, it grew on me, yes. It Not grew on me. I walked out of the theater on that one. Had no. to go back and watch it. Yeah, you did. Now, Woodrow, uh, who is Augie's brilliant son, the Brainiac. Uh, I love that. He even has it on his little pocket protector. He's played <laughs> by Jake Ryan. Now, he's a voice in Isle of Dogs and Moonrise Kingdom. But here's one for you, Michael. One of Wes's guys. I saw Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Oh, I saw you're going there. Really, one of those movies he made me watch that just. Have you just, ever seen oh Uncut Gems, Josh? I have not seen it, but I've heard 
rave reviews. Oh my gosh. At the end of that movie, and there's no spoiler alert. No but spoiler. When Adam no. Sandler's character. Wait, wait, he hasn't seen it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't oh, matter. Too late. You had your chance. You, it doesn't matter. When he gets shot in the head, I everybody applaud. in the theater that I was sitting with cheered. I have never seen a, a theater despise a character as much as Adam Sandler in that movie. Brilliant acting. To have a theater turn on a character like that was phenomenal. It's a hard watch. Good movie. Hard it watch. It is. Now, playing uh, the daughters, which is really funny in this movie, Augie has three daughters, and they have great names like Pandora, Andromeda. You know, we're, we're kind of keying on uh, mythology here. Uh, these these kids have only been in some television things. These are brand well, new to the screen. Did you see the YouTube, uh, the one review I sent you? I don't know if you watched all the junk I sent you, but the one link I sent you of the review, that was his triplets. Yeah. He says that. He goes, look, I'm reviewing the movie, but that was my triplets in it. But let me just tell you. And so it was kind of interesting to hear him talk about it because that was his three girls. Yeah. So. Now, the part that Wes Anderson wrote for an actress, and he called her up and said, I wrote this part for you. I want you in the in the movie. The, the character was Midge Campbell. She's the starlet. She's the kind of the uh, you know, almost the the, uh, the 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 bombshell beauty played Scarlet. by Scarlett Johansson. And we love Scarlett Johansson. Now, again, she's a Wes Anderson gal. He's been a voice in Isle of Dogs. Uh, she was in a movie we loved, Hail Caesar. If you haven't seen that one, great one to see. Great movie. Uh, really, really good movie. And a movie we did with uh, at the uh, Concordia Seminary in St. Louis that we did with uh, President Tom Egger. His choice, His Jojo choice. Rabbit. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a, also a fun movie. Has some Wes Anderson uh, vibes to it, doesn't it? It sure does. I, I almost want to get Taika Waititi and Wes Anderson together and just see what would happen. You know, I would I would absolutely be their opening night for whatever those two would create together, because you knew you know you're going to be entertained and you're going to be confused. It's it just brilliant. Uh, and that was Dr. Tom's choice, uh, Jojo Rabbit, because we uh, when we travel and we visit places like our seminaries, we ask the president, what movie do you want to do now? Just so you know, in contrast, when we went to Fort Wayne and we did the podcast with Larry Rast, the president of our seminary wow. in Fort Wayne, he chose a Bill Murray classic. What about Bob? Also just a wonderful movie. Yeah, these guys are good. I'm telling you. Now, I, uh, I'm going to guess that um, Wes saw her in uh, Lucy and said, mm -hmm. okay, she's weird enough for my movies. Because that was the, another one of those weird color imagery. Oh, I, I love not understand the ending. Love Lucy. I, we got yeah. to do Lucy one of these days. That's a great movie. Now, playing June, who's like the school teacher, is Maya Hawk. And of course, everybody knows Maya Hawk these days from Stranger Things. Uh, but we know her from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We did that movie. That's a great movie. A uh, little Quentin Torrentino. And her, her debut, Michael, what movie did she debut in? Oh, uh, I don't remember. Oh, come on. Kill well, Bill Volume 2. I haven't seen that. Oh. Oh, I know broken. you tell me I got to watch a Kill Bill. I haven't seen it yet. You are a broken man. I've got I, a huge list. Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 on DVD. That's how committed I am to the homage to Kung Fu. There you go. 
I mean, just have you ever watched those, uh, Josh? The oh, sure. Yeah, I've been reading Tarantino's new book on film, too. So highly recommend that. It's a good there. read. Oh, OK. We're going to have to put that down. Now, do they have it on audiobook for Michael? That's a- <laughs> <laughs> I just said I'm low on time. I'm a much faster listener than I am a reader. There it is. There it is. Oh, my gosh. Just looking through some of the other characters and uh, actors and actresses now, the 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 writer producer of the so of the of the movie play, so to speak, is uh, Conrad Earp is the character played by Edward Norton. Uh, again, Edward Norton is a Wes Anderson guy. You know, Isle of Dogs, French Dispatch, Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom, um, you name it, he's been in it. But of course, we know him from Fight Club. I mean, that's where it all begins. He'll forever be Fight Club for me. Yeah, we don't talk same about for Michael. Michael. Same for Michael. And then he did have his ill-fated dalliance with the uh, Marvel Universe with regards to uh, The Incredible Hulk. That was a disaster. But we all make mistakes. Uh, playing the actress, it's a bit role, but it's an important piece of the story, is Margot Robbie. And hers is the part that gets cut from the play. He, uh, uh, Augie's character has the encounter with her on the balcony as they're talking to each other. And of course, Margot Robbie, if you haven't seen Barbie yet, um, my wife and I went and saw that. I liked it. Um, I liked it a lot. I'm working on a paper now for uh, Concordia University, Austin's mission piece. And it's about the intersection of culture and film. And as I'm looking at this, we have two movies that came out at the same time, Barbie on one hand. And on the other hand, um, you know, we have this uh, uh, Christopher Nolan piece. This is really, I think it may take every Academy Award. And yet I think both are culturally critical at this moment in time. And I'm not going to say much more about Barbie, but I really think it deserves a harder watch than people are giving it credit for. It's it's made over a billion dollars, but it's more than a a, a daughter fun kind of movie. I think there's some real depth to it uh, that can be found. So I throw that out, Margot Robbie. Uh, Adrian Brody plays Schubert Green, who's the director of Asteroid City, the show the play and again we know him from the french dispatch the grand budapest hotel uh but we're always going to know him from the pianist i mean that's kind of where his little niche is in this whole world we mentioned earlier the one who plays the motel manager which you tell me should have been bill murray but it turns out to be Mm. carell um what do we say about steve carell i mean the guy is brilliant yeah we we really is um my favorite role of him is clearly anchorman one and two um maybe the best sequel ever made anchorman two (laughs) you love that i just watched (laughs) crazy stupid love i think is the name oh yeah i had never seen that that became one of my favorites instantly just the different dynamics it reminded me of this is where i leave you as far as the different role the different people and and the way all the parts come together yeah oh my goodness i watched that and it was all he saw the diversity in the big short. He was tremendous yeah. in the big short. Um, and also, I, I don't want to forget Welcome to Marwin. We haven't put it in the queue yet to, for, a, for a movie we're doing, but we need to. It's a movie. 
also to be to be looked at. Um, just a couple of others. I got three others I just want to throw out there. We have Dr. Hickenlooper, played by Tilda Swinton, and she definitely identifies uh, with Augie, Augie's son, Woodrow, and the kids. She's the scientist. You know, Chronicles of Narnia, Doctor Strange, but Grand Budapest Hotel, The French Dispatch, Moonrise Kingdom, Isle of Dogs, Hail Caesar. I mean, she does these quirk, you know, these kind of niche quirky movies. Uh, brilliant actress. The Alien, played by the incomparable Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> uh, we love Jeff Goldblum here too. He's he's a Christ culture and cinema favorite. He's wacky. Uh, you know, for me, he steals the show in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, just brilliant in that movie. You know, Jurassic Park, that entire series, but he makes an appearance in the Grand Budapest Hotel. And then the last one I wanted to throw out there is Willem Dafoe. Uh, he plays Salzburg Keitel in the movie. And he's another one of these all-time favorite Wes Anderson guys, Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, but the movie I want to highlight with him, he was also in The Life Aquatic, by the way. We did it here, Josh, The Florida Project. Mm-hmm. If you've never seen the Florida Project, it was my son who turned us on to that. He was living down in Orlando at the time, found the movie, watched the movie, and then he went over to, I think it's Route 192, right outside of the Magic Kingdom, and he was dead on. I mean, they filmed everything there, and it's a very real sense of disparity and poverty in the shadow of the Magic Kingdom, and the Magic Kingdom... Disney World wants to keep it that way because it forces people to stay on property, forces people to spend their money at Disney while there's all this uh, impoverished world around it. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe was the only real actor in that movie. I mean, it was very raw, very new, a lot of of different people. So Yeah, yeah. Excellent movie. I want to throw out Matt Dillon. Oh, uh, yeah. The mechanic. He he was pretty good. And and I – we got Tom Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson, uh, play, played a bit role. I guess they got to vacation together while they were filming. So, kind sure. of a lot of actors and actresses. Well, 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 let's jump. Let's just jump into the movie now, because, like, like we said, this is your typical Wes Anderson, where everybody seems to take pennies on the dollar to be in the movie. I think it must be a lot of fun acting in a Wes Anderson movie. That that's just kind of my impression that he's one of those. I want to be in a Wes Anderson. If he calls me to be in his movie, I want to be in his movie kind of thing. Um, sure. So so let's talk about this movie. Um, a- as you look at this uh, asteroid city, uh, it opens up with, with our narrator, uh, Brian Cranston, of all people, um, as this kind of narrator telling us about this play being done. Uh, and and the play is the is the product of Edward Norton's character, and it's it's the cast coming together. It's set in the 1950s Southwest, nuclear bomb testing uh, out there in the desert, uh, where there's a crater site where an asteroid hit, uh, where they're going to be giving out awards to these brilliant children for their creativity and scientific advances. That's kind of the backdrop. 
Um, and how Augie Steinbeck uh, becomes a character in the play. Um, he's driving with his son, Woodrow, his three daughters in their station wagon. The station wagon dies on the way to Asteroid City. And alas, when they get there, we also find out his wife has died, but he has yet to tell the kids. So it's kind of the backdrop. They meet Steve Carell, who is the manager of the hotel, has a place for them where they're staying right across the street from the crater, from the asteroid. Um, to say that it already is kind of bending your mind a little bit at the beginning of this movie, you're going, well, why didn't he tell his kids about the death of their mother? Uh, the car dies, and as you pointed out, Matt Dillon's character tells him it could be a 25-cent uh, fix. Or it could be a total engine rebuild. I'm not sure which it is. And of course, the car dies. So we have this layering right at the beginning of the movie of death. Uh, death of a spouse. Death of a car. Um, it's very, very uh, interesting to see how this begins. Um, what did you guys see it, as this movie kind of opens up? Go ahead, Doc. Well, uh, just a couple of things you said that really resonate. You know, it reminds uh, one of the Mercury Theater, Orson Welles, uh, you know, coming together. I know a number of the actors there have said it's kind of a community feel, almost a communion. You could put it in a secular sense of actors coming together. And Wes Anderson likes to have everyone together um, for yeah. a limited period of time. And you, I think you really see that in how they play off each other. But no, I, I think the theme, yeah, right on. There's something about death there. There's something about grief, about pain and loss and being lost. Yeah. It's fun, you know, as you think about these films, too, as you were going through, I just was, you know, kind of maybe clarifying some illusions that come to mind. I mean, it's interesting. Um, my son pointed out to me, he's a big Stanley Kubrick fan. Mm. And uh, the Augie character with the camera looks like a young Stanley Kubrick with a camera in New York City being lost. Looks almost exactly like him. I think that was intentional. Uh, you know, the Edward Norton character, Tennessee Williams. I mean, all this is coming together, right? Quite clever. Um, so you can kind of like an onion peel this back. Right. But I think like an onion, this movie does make you cry a little more or at the end just wondering what happened. Did we get any movement here? Yeah. Um, as it sort of ends where it started, right? Right. Yeah. Um, with an alien thrown in the middle. <laughs> and and there's a death of a small town. The, the town changes, right? It's the, the nuclear age, too. You got Oppenheimer, but you got the bomb going off in the background. Right. Um, it's sort of funny, but also when you think about it, quite frightening. Um, and the whole West is changing. And you get the sense that there's this, this, this seismic shift going on almost as the film is happening. And, and Wes Anderson's trying to maybe film that a little bit. But those are broad brushstrokes. But no, I think there's a lot to explore here. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I, I didn't even think of this until you said that. So on one hand, we, we have this, you know, this uh, mythical town of Asteroid City. And, um, you know, the when they're in the cafe, it begins to shake. And oh, what's that? Oh, that's the nuclear testing going on in the background. You can see the mushroom plume coming up. Cast against the, the summer's biggest, I, I, probably most important, Important movie Oppenheimer, which is about exactly that. Throw into that the beginning of the movie Barbie, mm. which is set out in the plains in the 1950s with these little girls playing, you know, mommy to their dolls. And it's really kind of a funny opening scene where the girls, you know, the, the narrator there says very, very frankly, 
it's only fun. It's only fun for so long playing mommy, you know, <laughs> and uh, the girls start like destroying these baby dolls that they want more. <laughs> They're looking for. And all of these three movies kind of merge at this point very unintentionally. I didn't even think about that until you said that. Uh, yeah, you know, the 2001 Space Odyssey opening to Barbie, you've got space in Asteroid City. You've yeah. got the bomb. I mean, it's a new age, right? It's a space age. It's an atomic age. And, and Wes Anderson, I think, pinpointed it in 1955, right? He makes a point of that, circa 1955 out yes. there yes. in the changing West. And the West is so different after that, right? Right. Well, yeah. all of a sudden, people are flooding to the West right. for very different reasons. And and I think this brings in, you you, you referenced the, the alien character. Uh, the alien shows up. I mean, here they are. They're, they're in the crater. There's this little asteroid in the middle of the crater with a little thing around it. And all of a sudden, and again, the coloring of Wes Anderson, I, I do believe there's something about the way he uses color. All of the people are enveloped in this kind of green light color this beautiful basking green color and then the alien comes down which we normally project as a you know the green alien from mars he's not green he's actually the one who is in you know a, a different uh, skin tone so to speak and he looks as he picks up the asteroid and of course there's augie with his camera and he holds it and he clicks the picture. And I think, again, the, the, the audio of Wes Anderson is equally important. The, the mechanical click in advance of the film, uh, very, very important to this because later on when he's uh, talking bungalow, across bungalows with Scarlett Johansson's character, Midge, he takes the camera and he snaps a picture of her and it's that same mechanical sound. You know, is the sound life? Is the sound capturing life? I don't know. And that's Wes Anderson. You walk away going, I don't know what you were trying for me to get from this, but I feel like I've got to get something from this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, is it a dream? Uh, what is it exactly? Is there a plot? <laughs> right. But the alien, I think, is a key moment. You know, the film moves very slowly until the alien shows up. And the alien right. actually comes back. The alien classifies them as they classify the alien, which yeah. is a wonderful twist. Yeah. Um, and, and after that, everything sort of goes crazy, right? Right. Um, but, you know, Wes Anderson loves to classify uh, and that's exactly what the alien does. And I think you're right. There's something about that picture, that little click. That's what Wes Anderson, he frames everything so yes, so perfectly, right? And trying to get it, but it's so fleeting. And this film felt to me very fleeting. Yeah. Well, I, even take that sound one step further. At the end of the movie, you know, the mushroom cloud is going off in the background, the next nuclear test. And there's Augie with the camera. And you hear the click in the advance of the film. And I think, again, I could be entirely wrong. I mean, we need Wes Anderson to sit in here and explain. But I think every time he's taking a picture that this is advancing this movie forward, so to speak, advancing us through whatever that point is that he's trying to make that we're picking up on. I was just going to say, you know, it felt like a timepiece. It was older, the older cars. They're trying to take you back to the diner times. And yet these 
genius kids and their and their um, inventions are, are state of the art. You know, we get to the Alien movie, and and the fact that it's it's a play that's being filmed as a movie with all the different weird sets, the 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 two dimensional, three dimensional. When you're in the theater, when you're not, one of the reviewers said, "This is what happens when a genius gets too much freedom." When they write Wes Anderson the check and nobody now is going to check him, why is anybody going to understand it? You know, you think about all his previous films, it was going there, but he wasn't big enough yet. He still had to answer to some people. Now he's at that point where has he gone too far? You know, now he's too big and nobody has the ability to say anything to him. And this is what you get when you give the genius too much leeway. Well, we said that about French Dispatch, right? Because uh, that was actually three stories. But I, I think here, Wes Anderson, I, I would counter that a little bit. I, I think he has a very meditative move it, throughout the film. I, I think it, it really is a meditation on grieving in some ways, right? It's many things as we've explored. Right. Um, but all his films, you know, are nostalgic, of course. He's known for that. But, you know, the root of nostalgia is this pain or loss of home. And yeah. I think that really fits this film. You know, with the grieving kids and burying them in Asteroid City and and, and, and just dealing with, with that grief. And I think grief, grief does kind of work like a dream sometimes, right? Mm. Are you awake or sleeping? Are you lost in your memories or here? And um, But yes, I, I see how uh, some would say that about Wes. Although he made this one for under, you mentioned the budget, under previous yeah. ones. It was under yeah. $30 million. I, Yeah, I would, I would just like to say that if something ever happens to my wife... I would like to go through the grieving process having an affair with Scarlett Johansson. I'm just going to put that on the record. <laughs> I think we got the secret to grieving right there, kids. Wow. And that's where Christ Culture and Cinema <laughs> went right off the ledge. There it was. Yeah, there's no comment for me on that one. Oh, there you, you go. Know, I see it. Let, let bring that around. Let, let's, let's bring this around. You know, the entire cast, so to speak, of the Asteroid City uh play are all of a sudden it goes to kind of black and white and here they are with edward norton's character sitting on the stage there's brian cranston's narration off there's um you know every, they're all there and and augie is trying to grapple with what does this all mean that he's kind of lost in this play and all of a sudden this echoing line starts uh you can't wake up if you don't go to sleep and they all just start chiming in you can't wake up if you don't go to sleep and over and over again like a mantra right and i remember sitting there watching this the first time trying to figure out what does this mean is this a mortality immortality life life beyond the grave kind of thing is it dream is it not a dream you know, I, I, this is where I struggled with it a little bit, you know, and of course there you have in the background of all of this, Jeff Goldblum, who uh, just a little while ago was an alien. So well, you're, I, I think going along with that, you know, maybe it's cause I'm watching it the week before school starts and I'm, I'm connecting with the field trip scenes with the teacher and what's going on. But yeah. uh, a lot of times in our movies, I can go to IMDB to the quotes and you can see those scenes again. You're reading the quotes and, not in this one. It's weird. But the quote that stuck out was Montana. Uh, I reckon that the alien didn't mean no harm. No, he ain't American. No, he ain't a creature of God's earth, but he's a creature of somewhere. Right. And, yeah. it, and it's that idea of 
bigger than it, it, it almost takes you back to the end of men in black where they start to zoom out and look at the vast expanse of, of what could be you know just putting it out there how little are we and, right and this film did that a little bit hmm. it, it's more explicit on religion than other Wes Anderson films. I mean, maybe Moonrise Kingdom comes to mind with the great uh, getting married scene in the chapel there. Uh, but this one clearly mentions Episcopalians, Afterlife, uh, a, a parody of the Lord's Prayer. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and there's something otherworldly about the alien, right? Like you yeah. said, that's great. It's still a creature. So still need to respect the alien. So a creature yeah. of a creator. And we also have in this, you know, uh, Maya Hawk's character, you know, she's the school teacher with the kids and the prayer, the the little boy who offers these prayers. It's it's um uh, there is a an arc of faith uh and a question of faith that is a part of this that Augie early on in the movie admits he doesn't have any. Uh and it's his father-in-law Stanley Zack who says it's okay, you're Episcopalian, which that's a brilliant moment right there for sure. Meanwhile, he has three daughters that are self-proclaimed witches that are trying to bury their mother's ashes in Asteroid City, whereupon Stanley Zack, Tom Hanks' character, says, well, we'll leave him there for the night and just hope a coyote doesn't dig her up. <laughs> um, so there is this question that arcs over this movie of of death of life and and augie is he's struggling to understand what it all means as a character as an actor in this asteroid city play and i think people do as well today um i i really you know in our world of dealing with life and death of of dealing with uh you know questions of the of, of the afterlife the questions of heaven and eternity yeah sometimes words are great but there's still that sense of uncertainty in the words that are spoken. And, and I kind of related to that in this movie. I, I, I kind of saw that. I was wondering if this is where Wes Anderson was trying to take this. Oh, I think he's going deep. You know, I, I'm not sure uh, we've really uh, fully experienced the mystery of space yet. Uh, so the space age launches in more questions, right? Uh, the atomic age creates more doubt. <laughs> So yeah. you have all this technological advance, and yet you still have witches. Yeah. Um, Macbeth is still popular, and it's not just the violence of Macbeth. I mean, I was thinking of Macbeth as you said that. You're right. The witches uh, sort of frame the film just like in Macbeth, right? It, yeah. There's some supernatural forces here, or something wanted to combat this technological almost nihilism, you could say, right? I mean, mm. but yeah, I think you're right. I think Wes Anderson's dealing with all that. You know, what is the meaning here? And and it's funny too for Wes Anderson. That's why I love Wes Anderson. It never is too serious. Right. There's <laughs> always a little humor yeah. uh, in, in dealing with the abyss, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it could be a 25 cent fix or it could be a total engine rebuild. <laughs> he says, well, which is it? And he goes, oh, it's a 25 right. cent fix. And then the car just like implodes, you know, and that's Wes Anderson. It reminds me of the end. I don't know if you mentioned this one or reviewed it. Uh, Darjeeling Limited, which wasn't as popular, but I think it's really fascinating on forgiveness. It's a brother film. It's mm. a buddy brother film. Uh, but at the end, uh, a little spoiler alert, um, they're sort of better, but not really. But they make a little bit of an advance. They get on another train, but no. they slightly trust each other more. And I felt like this movie, too, that's how grief and loss work. You just get up the next day. You're yeah. probably a little wiser, but not much. 
you're going to make mistakes, but here you go. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that's that's really wise of Wes Anderson. That's kind of how ministry and life works, right? Mm. Well, and you know what? I think as you say that, I'm thinking about Augie's character uh, with Midge, Scarlett Johansson's character, where they have an affair. <laughs> and I think it's Midge's daughter sees this happen, and yet they move forward. She mm -hmm. leaves and leaves him a P.O. box where she where he can reach her. Uh, and yet he gets in the car with his father in law, uh, along with uh, Woodrow and the three witches. And off they go back to California. Uh, life goes forward. You can't wake up if you don't go to sleep. It's right? interesting. Maybe. It's interesting you went there. The, the whole goodbye thing. I, I just uh, rewatched um, Goodwill Hunting. Mm. Yeah, fabulous. And and that scene where where uh Ben Affleck says the best minute of every day is walking up to your door hoping you're not gonna answer. You know, mm. and at the end that's mm. what he does. He walks up, he's not there, there is no goodbye. His his whole point was I hope you're not there someday. I think about you leaving. You know, how mm. do you say goodbye? You were here nine years. You know, it's that weird moment of, well, it's it's not Good, I mean, I'll see it, but but you're gone. But you know, yeah. goodbye suck. There's no good way. Yeah. And and when she left that note, I thought, yeah, how else would she have done it? A long goodbye kiss, and he watches her drive away. I mean, that what would be said? What don't you want to be said? Uh, there's a lot of of all the different the aliens coming. Uh, that's a, that could be a whole nother study on yeah. just the the different characters and and how the interactions go because. That's another one. These these five nerds who can't relate to anybody but each other. They bond. Yeah. They don't have anybody like that where they're going back to and, and how they grow close. You, you're curious how they would have had those moments because they're not exactly socially uh, inept. Are no, they that's, socially that's, a, that's inept. a good point. That that really is. Yeah, I think you, you've, you've stumbled into something with that uh, where Wes Anderson in this movie finds these connecting points, but they're they're not your typical or stereotypical movie movie endings. You know, when, when Augie wakes up the next morning and everybody's gone except for yeah. he and his family. Right, right. That's brilliant. <laughs> and that's the movie. Then, then you go back gone. to the play. You know, you, you bring back in uh, Margot, Margot Robbie, you know, that, that idea yeah. of, of that interaction that wasn't supposed to be, but because it's a play within a movie, you have that great scene. Uh, yeah. It, it's good. Yeah, it's... It's incredibly well done. At this point, Dr. Josh, we always lead to a question of the day. Uh, we want you to have a ponder point. This movie, I think, has about a thousand ponder points, and I'm not sure which would be the right one. But I, I want to key in on that on that line. You you can't wake up unless you go to sleep. And and this movie really does challenge us in a way of how do we move forward in life? How do we how do we move forward in, when we face death or when we face adversity? And and where does faith fit into that picture? Where does faith drive us, lead us, direct us? As you look at your life, as you look at a movie that's very artistic, how are you moving in your life, and how is faith directing those steps of what you have? Uh, I think that's a fairly good place for us to leave it today. Um, now, if uh, uh, if you are enjoying our little podcast, don't forget to leave a rating, a review, and, and most importantly, share it with your friends. Uh, 
that's how we get more people listening and how you support the, the work we're doing. And don't forget the book, Christ, Culture, and Cinema, How Faith and Film Intersect. You can find that on the Goliath known as Amazon. Now, we have to ask at this point, so Josh, would you, would you come back and be a guest again? Absolutely. You guys are great. Oh, and you've awesome. even put up with me, so thank you very much. Well, this very is awesome. Kind. You you brought legitimacy to us today because you are a professor. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. I, thanks for paying attention to me, unlike all my students, so thank you. Well, you know, <laughs> that, that does happen every now and again. Now, now next time, next time we're going to go a little different because the football season is on the horizon. Uh, we're going to go oh, into bears. the Wayback Machine. Oh, no, forget the Bears. It's all the Jets this year, my friend. And I got to see both preseason games here in oh, North Carolina, child. which is a miracle. Uh, but with that being said, we're going into the Wayback Machine. We are going to go to a tremendous movie, maybe the best football movie ever made. Next time. Ryan's song? No. <laughs> you know? Ryan Piccolo right, is I, I love Brian Piccolo. That's the best line in the whole movie at the Great. funeral scene. No, Michael, I was thinking about that too. Actually, that was coming to mind. The original. Oh, the original. Oh, original. You guys yeah, are. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's now, a next, jerker. It's a wonderful movie. <laughs> next time we are going to go to remember the Titans. Excellent. Until next time, we'll see you at the movies. Thank you for joining us for Christ, Culture, and Cinema with the doctor, Jeffrey Skopak, and his assistant, Michael Pop. Until next time, we'll see you at the movies.